we are hoping to show you just what is possible out there in our strange and wondrous world. One of the dogs started to howl. Almost immediately, all 400 dogs that were there started to howl along with it. We travel for business. We travel for pleasure. The conditions can change so quickly and it became very challenging to maneuver that kayak. We travel to expand our minds. Of course, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo. More people are killed by hippos than anything else. Whether it's one state over. I was looking for a longer treatment, like 90 days, six months, and my treatment plan was to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Or halfway around the globe. This fantastic high desert, you watch the sky at night, so you just see the Milky Way and shooting stars. If the world's a book, why only read one page? I'm Elizabeth Hill, and you're listening to a WAMC Northeast Public Radio production. This is Postcards from the Road. Support for Postcards from the Road comes from CEFQ, serving banking, insurance, and investment needs with more than 30 branches across the greater capital region. Also offering assistance to local nonprofit organizations through CEFQ's community support program. CEFQ. Changing lives every day. SefQ.com. In early 2019, Jordan Taylor Hill traveled to Senegal and Guinea to expand his musical background as an artist. Hill says his passion for drumming and his previous visits to West Africa sparked his trip back. Yeah, I went to West Africa to study the music and dance, djembe mostly, and uh, the dance with an artist from Le National Ballet, uh, Mustafa Bangora, and his dance company, Le Bagatai, in Conakry. So I was in Senegal for two weeks before that, kind of with a, a group, you know, just seeing the, the country, even though I had been there before. After the two weeks, I had went on my own to Guinea to do the training intensive dancing for like four hours a day and drumming two hours a day. And what inspired you to do this? I just love it. I just love it. I mean, my first time, so I had been to Senegal before. I went there actually as an undergrad, you know, in 2011 and had asked for my internship. And it was only three weeks, but I had asked for an internship to study dance and drumming because I'd always like seen a djembe growing up, but I'd never really been exposed to it. So I was just curious about it. So when I went to Senegal, I got to watch some dance troops practice and then watch another company practice. And actually it was, I was watching them do more traditional Senegalese style music, which is sabar. And they play that with a stick and it's like really high pitched and it's kind of loud actually at times. But that's how they would communicate like across villages and things like that, you know, playing certain rhythms for certain events or festivities or things that are happening. So people can they can hear the music and understand what's happening. So we went from one dance troupe, which was doing Sabar with a man, Edie Fay, and the dance company was Comte Diof which is, uh, just means with fish. And then from there, we went to Blaise Singor, the cultural center, and we were just watching people dance and drum djembe. And it was like, it blew my mind. It yeah. just blew my mind. It was like one of those things where it felt like it was like magic. Hearing this amazing music and seeing people do 
all of, all of this movement that was put together so well, it was just, it was like, how is this even happening all at once? I hear what I hear and how they hear that, you know, and are able to like dance to it in this manner that it was like incredible, you know? So I had bought a little djembe drum and was walking around like all of Senegal with it, you know, and people were like, oh, djembe fola, djembe fola. So fola means like player, right? So djembe is the drum and then fola is a, a Malinke word for player. Um, so there's other instruments, you know, like kora, so, and that's a string instrument and they might call you a kora fola or balafon fola. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And people would just be like, oh, can you play it? And I just like start banging on the drum, you know, <laughs> and I'm just like thinking about it now, like, dang, if I knew what I know now, then, you know, <laughs> they were very warm about it though. You know, they could tell obviously that I had like, was just very excited to have the drum and stuff like that and wanted to learn as much. So yeah, that's kind of how I first got introduced to it and exposed to it. And from there, you know, I went back to SUNY Albany and we had just started drumming on campus there. We're doing like community work. And, you know, I was very like Afrocentric, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And I just always wanted to learn, always wanted to learn the, the drum. And people could, I guess, pick up on that. And, you know, I just try to pick up pieces here and there, watch YouTube videos and stuff like that. Fast forward seven and a half, eight years later, you know, I'm still playing it and even teaching to some people as well and sharing my experiences. So just really grateful for that. So, yeah, that's what brought me there. (laughs) What was Senegal like? Amazing. Senegal is beautiful. I don't really speak that much French. So at times it would be a little difficult. But Senegal is like was the French West capital of Africa. And I think within that, it it really is a great example of democracy. And yeah, I mean, the people there are just very warm. You know, I say that about democracy, but the first time I was there, the president at the time, he was trying to run for a third term, basically. And he tried to change an amendment and say that his first term wasn't legitimate. So people were like protesting and things like that. And like, it was just this crazy thing. And I I have no idea what's happening, you know, but people like burning tires and things like that. (laughs) And they're speaking in French and Wolof. And I'm like, what's happening? And, you know, the power goes out and stuff. I'm with a, a group from three universities. So it wasn't ever at a point where it was like, my life was in danger, you know, because as a student, you had to register and like let the U.S. government know that you're actually going to be there and stuff. Yeah, that that happened. But overall, Senegal is just in an amazing place. And I could totally see myself like living there at some point in my yeah. life. You know, yeah, I just got to pr- brush up on my fringe. What was the highlight of being in Senegal? Probably revisiting places and people that I'd seen before. You know, like I said, Blaise Senghor is a cultural center that I had been to as an undergrad. After that, in 2011, I went back there 2016, and I was, like, living there for, like, three months. So I kind of developed my own routine and, like, friends and stuff like that. So after leaving and coming back, I came back for a conference a year later, and then in this past December, going there, you know, knowing some villages, knowing how to get there, knowing how to get to, like, Tubakuta, which is just north of the Gambia, 
you know, or knowing about Blazing or the Cultural Center and, and just meeting people, artists there that remembered me, that I remembered, that also know people in the States that are like, they move stateside, you know, and they're like teaching classes and things like that. That was really amazing. And um, going to St. Louis, which was the first, it was, that was actually the first capital of Senegal. And it's like just north of Dakar. And the architecture there is just like, it's beautiful. I was with a group. I figured it was a great opportunity for me to get from one country to another and kind of escape the cold that happens in New York sometimes, yeah. you know, so. So you go from Senegal to Guinea. What was it like to study African drumming in Guinea for four weeks? It was intense, you know. It was very humbling. Yeah, I say, like, I first picked up the drum in 2011, which is summer 2011, so almost eight years ago. And I knew I had a lot to learn and still have a lot to learn. But seeing the people there and, and seeing how natural the drumming comes to them, the dance comes to them, you know, being able to recall certain rhythms, certain steps so quickly and, like, the little nuances, you know, like, no, the break's not... It's you're like wait what's the difference is that like i don't even know is that okay so it's a tone not a slap or like you have to put an accent here or there and stuff like that that was like wow there's so much to learn you know still which is it's kind of liberating too because it's a practice you know and with a practice it's something that you you continue to do you never you might achieve a level of like mastery, people might say, right? But even when you're there, you're still learning stuff. You're still learning about your body. You're still learning about music. You're still learning from other people. Yeah, that was something that was really good for me, especially because I think certain music, you know, I would learn about like cuckoo, which is a dance for the fishermen, right? It's to inspire and encourage the fishermen when they would go out to fish. You know, they'd be on their boat and people would be drumming on land, you know, and then there'd be people dancing and stuff like that. You know, and like some of the steps resemble the fishermen and even certain, you know, the dun-dun or the sangban, the, the way it's played there is different from what I've learned here. Like I would learn something straight, like, don't don't get don't 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 get don't don't but they would play it like so it's just like those little nuances you know that they're like oh, okay learning those parts was really good and I just try to practice it now and like I've recorded a lot too so I like just yeah. try to practice it when I'm at home and stuff and like use it or lose it. So. Yeah, yeah. Where did you stay when you were in the countries? Did you do homestays? Did you stay in hostels? Did you stay do they have hostels? They probably do. So yeah, I stayed with Mustafa and his uh and his family at Le Bagatai. And then that was in Kisoso in Conakry. Yeah, that was nice because I didn't have far to go. I had my own room. And when it's time to drum, when it's time to dance, I'd have breakfast and then I'd be right there, you know. So all the other drummers, the dancers, they would travel from other parts of the city 
But for the four weeks that I was there, I was just staying with Mustafa at Le Bagatay. I might do the same thing if I go back. I might try to like go somewhere else, but there's just so much traffic. There's like one long main road, basically. And, you know, you think rush hour in the States is bad. It's like there's not many rules there and stuff like that. So, you know, some people might decide they want to stop in the middle of the road or do a U-turn and stuff like that. And yeah, it would it would kind of stop traffic. So you'd have to leave earlier, a lot earlier, and plan for that if you were gonna commute to study. But a lot of people do that though too. But it was my first time there. I'm like, it's probably better to just stay with the person that I'm studying with. Yeah. You know? So. Um, so I have to ask, what is the infamous "you lost your passport" story? <laughs> oh man, it's crazy. So I had to go to the bank, and like I said, the the commutes were so long, even though things weren't that far. It'd be like five miles, maybe six miles, but it would take like two hours to get to a place. And it's just like, yo, this is crazy. So, you know, I have breakfast, a lot of coffee, probably too much coffee, a lot of water. And then we get on the road and, you know, there's two lanes. So we're in the middle lane, closest to the barrier. And I'm just like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go to the bathroom so bad. I'm like, but we can't pull over or anything. So I'm just like, toilet, toilet, s'il vous plaît. (laughs) (laughs) And I was getting ready to give Mama my passport. And while I'm like, no, it's okay. I'll just put it down. So I just run out of the car, go use the bathroom. I come back in the car, right? And then we go to the post office. And then we're getting ready to go to the bank. And I'm like, just looking around like, everywhere checking my backpack and everything looking under the seats and stuff like that looking in the trunk i'm like jeez and i knew i had it i knew i had it you know what i'm saying and i'm just like pardon (laughs) i don't have my passport and they like started to get a little upset but i'm like no i know i brought it with me you know because i remember trying to hand it to her and at that point i was like I definitely lost it. I dropped it somewhere. I don't know. We went, I had to, I drank too much coffee. I had to go to the bathroom like four more times. You know, we went back to the place where I went, got out the car the first time, looking all over the side of the road. It was like, it was a mess. You couldn't, you couldn't find anything there anyway. The thing, the crazy thing is though, is like, I didn't even need to bring it. You know, I had my license and that would have been adequate ID. So, I mean, I got another one. I went to the embassy and stuff like that. Which country were you in? In Guinea. In Guinea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at least you didn't have to worry about crossing borders without your passport. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, like, I didn't even realize, (laughs) I didn't even know, for some reason I thought that I wouldn't need a visa going into Guinea because I was coming from Senegal. Yeah. But you need one. Yeah, because you're a U.S. citizen. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that's how visas work. I had no idea that's how they work. It's all good. So, no, yeah, now it's all good. But before, (laughs) I could have not been here very easily, not been sitting here right now. You know, but uh, they took really good care of me and uh, helped me get that visa. I have a visa for three years now, so I can go back to Guinea for the next three years without having to pay for that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, and I got a brand new passport. I think I like my old photo better, <laughs> probably because I was like 19 or 20 at the time, you know, but I don't know. I think I was just happy. Getting up there in age? About to be 30. 
the big three O. The big three O. But yeah, I, I got another passport, and it wasn't it wasn't that bad. I think at the time it seemed like worse than it was, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I could I could see that being like a little bit of a yeah. a heart stopper. Yeah, in the middle of West Africa, yeah, yeah. without a passport, <laughs> unable to get back to the states to see your family and friends. I would have. I don't know. I would have called Liz. Like, hey, <laughs> new phone. Who this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can I help you? I got it like a few days before I left. Like five or six days before I left, I had got my passport and visa back. And it's a lesson. Like, you don't have to travel with your passport when you're when you get to your destination. You can make a copy of it, or if you have like state issued ID, like your license or just a regular ID. That's literally the the first rule I ever learned going Mm, abroad mm. is to carry a copy of your passport, photo ID, and one of your bank cards Mm. in like a compartment in your luggage. Right. Yeah. Lesson learned. With like some emergency cash. Sure. Sure. Yeah. What was the highlight of Guinea? It's probably seeing a Dundumba. And a Dundumba is... It's a set of rhythms that come from one region, mostly Karusa, in like Northeast Guinea, close to Mali. Uh, but Dundumba is like a celebration or it's a dance for a strong man. Like, not just men, but like they use men as like interchangeably man and woman. Gotcha. You know, um, when they have a Dundumba, it might be for like a wedding. The one I was at was for a wedding. You know, I've always would watch all these YouTube videos or just listen to the music where people from this one area will come together or artists will come to this one place because of this celebration. And the drummers will be there and they'll play the music an hour, two hours, three hours, however long. And they start off in a circle, you know, and they'll go around in the circle and they'll do a few steps and then after they clear out the circle, people will go in individually and do like dance solos. It was just really awesome to see in person, you know, because I don't know. That's a big part of their culture. I think it's similar to like a cipher in like the hip hop world. Yeah, you you kind of get to freely express yourself, drummers and dancers, young and old. You know, it'll start off with the kids. Like the kids will just be messing around, playing tag, doing steps and stuff like that. And then like the younger folks will come. And then sometimes even older adults will go in too. But yeah, just getting to see that documented and being with, people that were just really well-trained, probably some of the best artists in Guinea, seeing them like do their own thing in that element. Yeah, it's just amazing to be like, wow, I'm actually here, you know, watching this right now. I've seen some of your videos. Could you describe maybe what is so unique about the dancing Mm. in Guinea? Well, you use a lot of your body. First of all, so like, you know, ballet, they might go like this. And it's like very isolated movements. But like with djembe music, with people in Guinea, you know, you're like, 
So, you know, that's a big part of it. Um, and it's just a feeling, you know, it's just a feeling like the djembe and that culture comes from there, you know, and it's like such a widespread thing now. It comes from like Malinke, Mandink people for the most part, you know, its origins like Northeast Guinea, the Mali Empire. And when you go there, you know, there's there's people from different ethnicities, you know, Susu, Baga, Fulani, Malinke, but you see how they still sort of come together and represent Guinea as a country, you know, and like represent that music. I don't know, when you see it, it's just like, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, you've probably seen it too, because I know you've been to some like Latin American countries, right? Yeah, Belize and Guatemala. Yeah, um, and even you're going to Cuba. Yeah, I'm going like to that. Cuba in June. Not to timestamp this. <laughs> but, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you'll see it there too, like that, it's like the call and response, the conversation between the drums and the dancing, you know. Yeah. It's like, you can't have one without the other, you know. And yeah, people, I think, just, they internalize that and like, carry it with them yeah there's almost like a freedom to mm. the way that the dancing comes across mm. especially in your videos yeah yeah where it just you know the music takes them yeah absolutely no that's exactly it that's exactly it it made me feel like i could i was like a lot better at dancing than i am you know <laughs> and i'm like let me slow down a little bit right now no but i i i do think it, it was really helpful for me too just being able to to study with the people that were so great and they were just very patient with me too, you know. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of the time, I was able to train with people individually, you know. Have two people trying to break down steps. For me, you know, it's just about sharing that information and experience with people now. So you have a visa; you can go back at any point in the next three years. Yes. But will you expand and go to other areas in Africa and really? I would see love some to. diversity i would love to absolutely yeah if anybody wants to pay me to do that i'll definitely go do it <laughs> no i was actually just looking at some grants and things like that you know there's some opportunities to study in like sub-saharan africa my interest i think right now is mostly west africa yeah it would be really great to go to nigeria it'd be really great to go to ghana gambia sierra leone those four countries speak english which would be nice. Yeah. But also there's this like wave of Afrobeats and it's like dance music with African melodies and singing. And even even some Latin American, like in Guatemala, they play mm -hmm. the marimba, yep. you know, and you'll hear that a lot uh, in a lot of the popular music. And I think it's really interesting, not to go off, but I think it's really interesting because dance music started in like Chicago and Detroit and things like that with DJs and you see how it, it just continues to travel but places like Nigeria and Ghana especially even Cote d'Ivoire that Afrobeats wave is something that it is growing and um, it'd be nice to be able to work with artists there because I produce music as well you know before I was even drumming I was I was writing songs and stuff like that. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to have that immersive experience there. 
Um, is there anything that you want to add before I ask you to take your drum out and play some beats? <laughs> oh, it's already out. We are out here. <laughs> I think everyone should go to Africa. Just pick a country, you know. You went to Morocco. Morocco's the best. <laughs> the best. And I had Lay over there and I didn't go out. I'm so tired, but I don't know. It's okay. Maybe next time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think everyone should go. Be open-minded, you know, especially... African-Americans, black Americans in the West. You know, I think there's a lot uh, for you there, for us there, you know, maybe to see that there's more to our story than what is often told, which I think a lot of times starts with slavery, there were empires and kingdoms and people thriving in civilizations long before Arabs came, uh, uh, long before Europeans came. Uh, and when you can connect with that and understand that and change the narrative that I was even told and internalized a bit, you know, these silly things that, you know, African booty scratchers and stuff like that. Like, you know, I had no idea that there was this beautiful culture and group of people, you know, that were there and being open to building with people there. You know, I think that's a a really important thing, not just going there as like a tourist or not just going there and saying like, oh, I'm going to do my... um, my volunteer work, what do they call it? It's like this term now, volunteerism, you know, where we think we're like going to this place and giving people, and I've been guilty of it too, to some degree. You know, we, we have these ideas of what people need, right? Yeah. In these, in these, anywhere, not just Africa, but in these quote unquote developing countries and kind of impose our ideas on them. But that may not be culturally relevant to them and what they need, you know, I know it's a lot better to think about them, not just as people, but where you can conduct business, you know, and commerce and trade experiences and share and things like that. So, yeah, that's definitely something that I try to carry with me, even here, too. Audio from this episode was provided by Jordan Taylor Hill. To learn more about Hill's journey, upcoming drum workshops, and his music, visit jordantaylorhill.com. Postcards from the Road is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Hill. Our theme music is Cherry Blossom Wonders by Kevin McLeod. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe on your audio app of choice. Visit WAMCpodcasts.org for more information. If you would like to share your travel story with WAMC, email us at postcards at wamc.org.